really, the, the, the whole of autumn is being spent on this idea of, of missionize. The fact that God has a mission to the world to restore his good. Uh, remember that word from Genesis, tov in the Hebrew, his good shalom rule, his peaceable and peaceful reign over all things and bring all things back under Christ. And that's God's mission. And he invites his people to be involved in that mission as well of restoring God's peaceful, good kingdom, uh, the way it was intended, uh, the beauty of creation and the beauty of humanity. And he calls us to be involved in that, to live in ways that bring about this good and peaceful reign of God on earth as it is in heaven. And so we are to be missionized. We need our lives to come into alignment with what God is doing in this mission. Hence the term missionized. But that happens in a number of different ways. And in this series, that we're, or this part of the series, we're thinking about the lives that we live when we're not together. So this idea that we spend most of our lives as the church scattered, doing different things. Actually, very little of our time is spent together like this. But God has a whole load of things that he is doing and wants to do and is yet to do in the places where we are the rest of the week. So just as a kind of a reminder of uh, how your week looks, about 168 hours we have, in, well not about, we have 168 hours in the week. If you've managed to squeeze a few more in there, then I'm impressed. But 168 hours of the week, of which if you sleep slightly better than me, you might get 48 hours of sleep uh, a week. And that leaves about 120 hours. If, if it tends to be that if, if you're really committed to kind of the stuff that the church does in a gathered way, you know, maybe you come on a Sunday morning, you're in part of a life group, you're involved in a ministry here or something, that may be another 10 hours uh, that you're involved in, or you might be involved in some voluntary work or something like that. That leaves about 110 hours left in your week. That's still a huge chunk of time. What does God expect there? What, what, is, what is God doing in the 110 hours that are left in our lives and what we do? That's the majority of our week. Is God not interested in that? Is, is that kind of like, well, everything else that you do, you know, sleep's important so you can rest, so you can get to church. That's not how it works. We are the church. And so really this series and part of what Jeff was saying last week was that work or the ways in which we contribute into the world, our voluntary stuff that we do. What we do the other times of the week is this 110 hours. How do we use it? Are we using it well? What do we see God doing? And so we're moving the picture from a gathered church to a sent church out in the world from day to day in the places we live and work and whatever it is we do. And I, I am unapologetic that I'm not inventing the wheel here. I mean, we are drawing on people and uh, writers and leaders and organizations who, who have developed all kinds of resources for this type of thing, uh, particularly LICC, London Institute of Contemporary Christianity. This course, Fruitfulness on the Front Line, is a resource from then, and our preaching and our life groups are all going to be in this direction. What does it look like to have a life that is fruitful on the front lines of where we 
live and work and where we are the, the other 110 hours of the week. So that's the focus. The church sent. I was on a, a, a webinar on Thursday night. We have LICC, but Evangelical Alliance. I'm just pointing at you, Fred. I don't know why I always point at you when I say Evangelical Alliance. Scot Scotland Director and Prayer Director for Evangelical Alliance. Please, that is Mr. Fred Drummond. Let's give him a round of applause. Uh, Reverend Fred Drummond. Reverend Dr. Fred Drummond. And uh, they, they were having a webinar, and it, it was on Jesus at work. And uh, the idea that, you know, whatever you do, whatever you work as, whether you do it for pay or whether you do it voluntarily or whatever, God, Jesus has work for you to do there. If we could just see that the work we do is the work that's important to God. And so we are drawing heavily on these organizations. We want you to go and check them out, um, particularly for those of us who are in places of work and uh, leadership. LICC is a great resource for you to access. And this idea of our front lines, I want you just to think very carefully about this, about what we mean when we talk about fruitfulness on the front line of our life or the front lines of our life. And when we think about that word front line, we probably are thinking of four areas. First area of our front line is our family and our home. Well, what, what is God doing in our family and our home? The work that we do, the things that we do, the looking after our children, uh, the looking after our parents, perhaps some of you might be in that stage of life. Um, the looking after of brothers or sisters or those family places or your home. Maybe you look after others. But that's a frontline place. You spend a lot of time as a, a man or woman of, of faith, as a follower of Jesus in the front line of home and family. That's important. God wants to use you in that place. Second area of front line is your work or vocation. Or even work as vocation. I want, I want to encourage you to understand your work, not just as a place to earn money that pays a, a rent or a mortgage or insurance or for your car, but to say, what is the work I do? And to see it as a vocation. God's calling on your life. What, is, what does God use you there for? What are you contributing into the world in the work that you do or in the voluntary work that you do or the community work that you do with your spare time, what you do? Work as vocation. God will use work, the work that you do. And if you're looking at your work and you're saying, well, I, I, yeah, I don't feel like this is a vocation. In fact, I'd, I'd, I'd like to look at something else for work. Well, maybe you need to look for something else for work. And to ask the question, what does God have for me? Then there's social and recreation. How do we missionize our social and recreational life? So all you guys out there, and it's mostly guys, I only know of uh, Rachel who's playing football, of the girls, but maybe I'm unfamiliar with anyone else who's playing. But when, you're, when you do your five-a-sides, that, that's not just a game of football. Well, what does it look like for that to be missionized? What does God want to do in those places and spaces? Or for those of you who do um, Trinity Move, is that just a group of people from the church gathering together to go and run together? Well, it might be, but if it's a missionized Trinity Move, then it'll look different. 
What is God doing in the world around you and in that place that you go running with other people? Those social recreation places that you have. Or alternatively, the neighborhood that you live in, the community that you are part of. What does it look like for you to be on mission for God there? Does it look like you to bring the shalom, the good reign of God in that place? All of these are frontline places. That's where you spend most of your time. That's where I spend most of my time, in these places. So what does it look like for God to be working in us? And what does it look like for us to realize that God is using these front lines to bring the goodness and peace of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? Anthony Billington and Neil Hudson will draw on a lot of the stuff that they've written over the next uh, five weeks But they wrote this, these are not another set of holy to-dos to add to our already too long list of boxes to tick. These are lenses to help us spot how God might already be working in us. They're snapshots of what kingdom living might look like. Snapshots to help us see what God might do in and through us on our front lines, these four areas. They're there to spark our imagination and spur our prayers for ourselves and for one another. Basically, turn those 110 hours when you're out and about to say, what's Jesus doing? What would Jesus do? If I was walking with Jesus right now, which you should be, as I'm walking with Jesus right now, wherever I am, what would Jesus see? Where would he see the need for his good and peaceful, loving, grace-filled kingdom? Who would he see? Who would he notice? How would he respond and to say, I'm going to do that? in my 110 hours where I'm not sleeping or gathered with the rest of the church. What does it do like? What does it look like for us to live as followers of Jesus in those places, in those front lines? All these areas matter to God. God is not just concerned about when we come together as the church and gather together. I mean, he loves that. But he cares about all these areas that we go out to the other 110 hours of our week. And so we're doing six weeks. And these six weeks on this fruitfulness on these front lines are going to give you six M's to think about. Last week it was making good work. So what we do in our workplaces or in our voluntary work or our community work, that matters, matters to God. How do we do it well and make it good? But there are six M's that we're going to look at. Today, we're going to look at modeling godly character. So on our front lines, how do we live in ways that model godly character? How do we model that and display that? We did making good work last week. Week three, we'll do ministering grace and love. God has shown us his grace and love. So how might we minister grace and love to those around us? The 110 hours of the week when we're not sleeping or together. We're going to think about molding culture. On week four, how can we influence the culture on our front lines? And everyone has a role to play in molding the culture of your front lines, whether that's in a workplace or in the home or in recreational life or in voluntary work, in the family, uh, wherever you are. Then a mouthpiece for truth and justice, becoming champions of right living and fair dealing. 
in our front lines? How do we transform the places we are into places of, of justice and righteousness, goodness, mercy, compassion, where we really do care for those who are on the edges and the margins who suffer most, for the outcast, for the isolated, for the one who's picked on or bullied in the 110 hours of the week that we're not sleeping and gathering as the church. And then week six, how do I become a messenger of the gospel? Um, how do I grow in confidence in talking about Jesus with people on our front lines? There are all kinds of ways in which uh, God wants to use us on our front lines to be fruitful. That is good for you, good for the front line that you're part of, and good for God and his kingdom, good for others. So that's where we are going in these weeks. And you got a little bit of that last week from Jeff. But I want us to look at this idea of modeling godly character. That the way we live matters, what we model in our lives, our reactions to things. How do we do that in a godly way? Well, let me read some words for you from Galatians chapter 5, and we'll split the section up uh, and just do a little section at a time. But first of all, from Galatians 5, 13 to 15. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, or what Paul sometimes calls the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by one another. Now, I want you to, just to pause there, to think about your front lines of work. And whether you live in a place or work in a place or serve in a place or your family or your friends or your social life or your recreational life, whatever, is that place represented more by love your neighbor as yourself? Or does it sometimes feel like, watch out, we're going to be devouring and destroying one another? And how would good and godly character bring transformation if we lived in ways that were love your neighbor as yourself? Because I want to say, so I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, the selfish desires that live within us. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Paul's talking about this kind of warring between what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives, which is good and godly and allows us to love our neighbor better as opposed to what Paul calls the flesh or the sinful nature, which is really just selfishness. I'm only focused on myself. That's all that matters. Just me. Stuff everyone else. And that there's a different dynamic about the kingdom of God. It does not think first about, well, I, my selfish, my selfish desires and ambitions. The world can't work well like that. If everyone's only ever concerned about their own selfish desires, that causes us to then want to take off everybody else so my selfish desires can be met. That is leading to disaster. Instead, if we were to flip that and say, actually, if we learn to love our neighbor, then we would pour into other people's lives and they would pour into ours so that we would flourish the wisdom of God's word. 
And God says, you know, you can't do that on your own. You need the Holy Spirit in your life, God's Spirit within us, to help us live in those godly ways, modeling godly character. Now, in these verses that I just read to you, Paul's dealing with the threat of, um, or the issue of freedom. God wants to bring freedom to our lives. And, and Paul begins this chapter by saying, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. No longer to be slaves to a yoke of slavery. And there's two ways in which Paul thinks about the fact that you can become a slave. The first is a slave to sin. That we, we can't help ourselves but do things that are wrong. And that you would be a slave to sin. But the other is a slave to law. And a slave to law is a slave to rules and regulations. And actually, that's not helpful either. So there's a slave to sin where it's like we can't help but sin and do things that are only to do with our own selfish nature. But then there's the other, it's just we form ourselves into rules and regulations. We don't do this, we don't do that, we can't do this, we can't do that, we might do this, we might do that, we will do this, we won't do that. And what happens when we're in a, in a rules-based world is... All that happens there is we depress ourselves with the fact that we can't do it. We're trying our best and our hardest. The discouragement of rules and regulations. Now, I'm not saying that rules and regulations are awful. I'm just saying we, we weren't called to a freedom that takes us, in fact, into slavery to rules and regulations. The slavery of the law. Endless rules crushing failures and guilt. You know, you felt that. Oh, I'm not coming up to the mark. And there's that crushing guilt that you feel because of all these rules, trying to do it on our own strength. And Paul is saying, slavery to sin or slavery to law and rules, that's not freedom. Freedom is found in Christ and the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit lives within us and enables us to live in godly ways so that we don't live in the life of slavery, but rather we do it out of the Holy Spirit within us, bringing and changing us from the inside out with godly character. Walk in the Spirit, Paul says, instead of walking in slavery to sin or in slavery to the law. Walk in the Spirit the path that drives through the middle and elevates us above these other slaveries. So again, here's a quote from Billington and Hudson. The gift that Paul suggests is most in danger of being lost is freedom. That freedom is from the law on one side and from sin on the other. It's as though these two powers are wrestling for the Galatians, the church in Galatia. Paul wants them to walk a pathway between sin and law. And as we do so, we're accompanied on that pathway by the Spirit of God. He is the one who guards us and enables the life of the Spirit to grow within us. The life that is wrapped up in a single command, love one another. Really building on what Fred preached on two weeks ago, that we can't do this life of mission without the Holy Spirit. He is essential. He is the Spirit of mission. The mission of God on earth as it is in heaven. And so we need to be people of the Spirit so that we can live in freedom. Freedom from sin and freedom from the law. 
but in the spirit we live in godly ways that cause us to love our neighbor. And that's the key. Freedom comes when we live for God and for others, not for ourselves. When our lives are focused on the love God, love neighbor mandate. And it's Holy Spirit who enables us to do this. And when we can, it's probably because we need to go back to God and say, Holy Spirit, fill me afresh. I'm struggling in this situation, in my workplace, on my front line, in the voluntary work that I do, in the family. I'm struggling. And we come back to God and we say, Holy Spirit, I don't want to be bound up in my selfish, sinful nature. I don't want to be bound up in rules and regulations. Help me bring the love of God into my heart by the Holy Spirit so that I can address this with godly character and with love. And that's the key. We can live in two ways. We can live satisfying ourselves and gratifying ourselves, or we can live humbly serving and loving others. And freedom is found in the latter, not the former. Well, that passage goes on uh, in, in Galatians chapter 5. There we go. To say this, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Now, again, as we read this, I want you to think about one of your front lines, uh, your work or your vocation or your voluntary work or your family or your neighborhood or your social and recreational issues, okay? And think about your front line places as I read this. The acts of the flesh are selfishness, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that's quite a list, isn't it? A bit of awkwardness across the room on a couple of words there. Now, this is not like a Facebook have you ever post. You've ever seen those posts? Have you ever? And then there's a list of things and it asks, have you ever done these? This is not one of those. We're not going through the Bible like a tick list and say, well, I've not done that, or I have done that, and I've not done that, but I have done that. But rather, it's a commentary on much of what happens in the world around us. What we might face, either in us or from others. And typically in a passage like this, our eyes are drawn to some of the big hitters on the list. Really, the first few and the last few, and you think, well, I don't do any of them. Maybe you, maybe you do. I don't know, man. But actually, I, I find it's the ones that are in the middle, not the big hitters that are the ones that are the most common, and they're the most common within the people of God as much as anyone else. Those others, the hatred and the discord and the jealousy and the fits of rage and the selfish ambition and dissensions and factions and, and envy, well, they're much more familiar. And maybe if you think about your front lines as I read that, have you ever faced or been responsible for any of those on your front lines? Maybe you've, been, you've faced them in others or maybe you've been responsible for them yourself. And what do they do? 
or they certainly don't bring the kingdom of God's good shalom reign. They cause division and conflict and separation, anger across and among people. This is a selection of the many destructive actions or responses or consequences that come out of a life that is only concerned with satisfying or gratifying my own sinful, selfish ways. And it causes chaos all across your front lines. You stop and think about your frontline places and how these kind of things cause such chaos. We're not called to that. We're called to a different way of living that would overturn the ways in which our front lines operate to bring the good and peaceful reign of God into all of those places. So let's move on to the next passage. As Paul goes on, now think about your workplaces or your families and homes or your front lines where they ever they are. And as you hear these words, think what would it look like in the front lines if these were demonstrated? But the fruit of the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit within us, through Christ and the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, fruitfulness on our front lines, is love, joy, patience, forbearance, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. There's not rules and regulations around them. They're godly character, (coughs) ways in which we live. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, their selfishness with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Holy Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now imagine if those nine characteristics were regularly displayed in your front lines. What would your front lines look like? Would they be different? And God calls us in this mission that he's in to live with godly character. This is godly character. We, we don't get caught up. We're called to freedom. Not slavery and sin. Not slavery in the law and rules and leg, regulations. But freedom in Christ and the Holy Spirit whose fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faith faithfulness, gentleness, kindness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's fruitfulness on the front line. And imagine if we were responding out of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit within us, living in those ways on our front lines. What an interruption that would be into some of the madness that exists on our front lines. That's how God calls us to live and model godly character. Can you see how living in the spirit with this fruit could impact and change both the way you live in the front line, but also what happens on your front lines? Can you see the ways in which perhaps in living in the spirit in this kind of freedom, with this kind of fruitfulness, how it would bring or redeem situations in your front lines. It would redeem the realities there. Bring something of the shalom, the peaceful, good reign of God. Can you see how life in the Spirit would begin to bless others 
It wouldn't just be a focus on ourselves. You see how modeling this life in the spirit impacts and transforms atmospheres? Think about some of the atmospheres that you've had to face or maybe you've been part of in your front lines. How would living in Holy Spirit with godly character change the atmospheres? Oh man, I've seen people change atmospheres because they express love and forgiveness instead of adding to the hatred. I've seen atmospheres change. I've I've seen atmospheres change by something of a kind word into a hostile environment where everyone else was talking with aggression at one another and someone entered with kindness in their voice and spoke a different word. In our conversations, they were transformed. In the conflicts or with difficult colleagues or bosses or difficult family members or friendships or relationships, that are happening? What would it look like to model godly character, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? What would it look like for gentleness to enter into a place where there was conflict? Or what would it look like for decision-making or direction or outcomes in what we do if peace and kindness and love were directing the path in the direction. Or if you have to care for family members, man, couldn't you do with a good dose of Holy Spirit patience or forbearance? I'm at the stage of life where I'm caring downwards and upwards at the same time to parents and to kids. We need Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit to develop godly character. Ask my daughter's if their dad needs to develop godly character. Or what about the fact that there are times where the Holy Spirit, when he fills us and when we live in the Spirit and walk with him, he just, he just prompts us in our front lines to do something that is completely contrary to the way our front line normally works. Ask us to do something. Ask us to say something beautiful into the life of somebody else. And it comes as a surprise because maybe on your front lines, that's not how people operate. Well, don't take that as norm. Take that as an opportunity to say, actually, don't we want a better world, a better way of the good and peaceful reign of God where love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are modeled. All of that row are counting to see if I get all nine of them when every time I say it, can see their minds going, is that mine he's got there? Modeling godly character. We remind ourselves that it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's Holy Spirit who causes this kind of fruitfulness in our lives and therefore on our front line. This is what we want. The freedom in these things is how we want to live in the Holy Spirit. It is Holy Spirit who brings all of this to us. And so if we want to model godly character, we've got to walk in the Spirit and let the Spirit indwell our very lives. Now, I want this to be a message of optimism and possibility and freedom and grace and mercy. I want it to be a a message that encourages us towards personal transformation 
that brings transformation as Holy Spirit works within us. That's what I want it to be. But I recognize that when we have a list like this, sometimes what it can do is make us think, I can't measure up. I, I can't measure up to that kind of godly character. So how do we deal with failure when we don't live like this? When we fail in modeling godly character, when what comes out is anything but the fruit of the Spirit, here it is. You've got to go to God. John 15, 8 says this. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Do you know what passage this is set in? Set in a passage where Jesus is teaching his disciples. Remain in my Spirit. Remain in me. Abide in me, live in me, walk in me. When we fail, when we struggle, when we fall, we go to God. There's no other way. We go there in prayer and in confession. It is in prayer and in confession that God is able to work within us and lead us into godly character. We, we don't ignore it and say, oh, that's another failure. We don't con condemn ourselves and say, I'm no use at this. We get to God. We confess, we repent. We pray, we seek him, we ask him not only to forgive us, but to transform us, to knock off the rough edges that still exist in the sinful nature. We don't despair, we don't become hopeless, we don't say, I can't do this, we get to God. People, if you can remember anything today, remember this, whatever happens, we go to God. That's it, we go to God. And we have to, if we have to keep going back, we keep going back, we keep going back, because he's the only one who can help us to develop this type of godly character in the Holy Spirit. And we want to do our best, but it is God who enables this to happen within us so that we can live in his freedom and live with this godly character. And our front lines are both a challenging place, but they're an opportunity, because when we live in our front lines, Sometimes we get this godly character right, and sometimes we don't. And we know when we don't, because often other people tell us we don't. What do we do? Well, we come back and we get to God. Say, Lord, help me, help me on my front lines to live in this godly character where in the power of your Holy Spirit, come and give me this grace again that I need to face this situation, this person, this conflict, this challenge. Lord, we've got a big decision in our office to make, and I don't know what way to call it. Help me, give me wisdom, give me insight. Help me to work with a team to come to a suitable conclusion. Lord, help me in the caring of my elderly parents who are in a care home. Lord, help me with my kids, I'm struggling. Every time we come back to God. Actually, your front lines will help you become a better follower of Jesus if you can see that God is there with you. And when we struggle and we fail, we get to God. So I want you to remember that phrase, we go to God. So when we are struggling, we go to God. Say it with me. When we fail, we go to God. When we're uncertain, we go to God. When we're under attack, we go to God. I need to hear it louder. When we feel isolated, when we are frustrated, when we're angry, when we're perplexed, when we're excluded, when someone else is excluded, when we're exhausted, when we're at the end of ourselves, whenever, whatever, 
wherever we go to God. Really believe that God is ever with us and available to us. Well, let's get to him. We can't operate on our front lines without him. But my goodness, if we work with him, we'll change the places of our work life, of our front lines, of our home life, of our social lives, for God's glory. Not just to make them nicer places, although they will be nicer places, but for the glory of God. We go to God. And so Paul says, you've got to keep getting back to him. So you can be filled with the Spirit and walk in the Spirit wherever you are, seeking and responding to him in real time. And sometimes the best thing you can do at work is go to the toilet and pray. That would be a good work decision for somebody. Be a good work decision, be a good family decision at one point for you in a family situation where it's getting heated to just pause and count to 10 and say, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. For you to go in another room and perhaps just pray or stay in the room and pray. That would be a good family decision. It may be a good recreation uh, decision that when you're out playing five-a-side football on your way to five-a-side people say, Lord, speak to me. What can I share with someone today that will bless them? That would be a good social and recreational decision. How do, how do I go to this game of football with something to speak of the goodness of God and to someone else's, to bless them, encourage them? Holy Spirit will work that in you. Final quote before we finish. People may get to the end of a day and feel that little has been done for the sake of the kingdom. But in actual fact, the Spirit has been at work in us. The Spirit has been at work in us. The fruit of the Spirit, the outworking of God's life in us has been on show for all to see. And all this has happened in the frustrations, joys, and challenges of another ordinary day. Ordinary days. God cares about them. This is no small thing. Modeling a character that has been counter-culturally transformed. Think about all those frontline places you operate for those 110 hours and ask yourself, man, what would they look like if somebody was modeling godly character? Huh? Maybe that's me. And as God walks with us into our front lines, how might he help us live to bring the kingdom, the good and peaceful kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven for your good, for those, the good of those who are around you, for the good of the place you work, and for the glory of God. Shall we pray, worship team, will you come up? And as we pray, I want you to picture your front lines. Picture those front line places. Lord, I pray by the Holy Spirit in our lives and over the lives of those in our front lines that love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control would become fruitful in our lives. 
Father, thank you that you want me to become more like your son, Jesus. Grant me that same desire. Forgive my cherishing of ungodly thoughts and my persistence in ungodly actions. Work in me by your spirit that I might turn from the darkness of my sin and walk in the light of your grace so that it might be to your glory. In Jesus' name.